We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to take a deep dive into Russ's decision making. Now that we've had, a, you know, seen him a little bit on a day to day basis with his five turnover fourth quarter the other night, kind of as the backdrop, a little bit of X's and O's context. Uh, he was pretty good with ball security for the first three quarters or so, especially with how much he was absorbing of that. And we were doing really well, especially in our ball screen game. And we were getting downhill, so they'd tried dropping initially. They had tried switching at one point, and then it's just AD's going to kick your ass. Uh, Russ is going to win a foot speed advantage here and there. We were beating their coverages. And as Mike pointed out in the last episode, Charlotte is, is not a good defensive team. They went to zone and they went to zone with the starters as well. We've actually seen more zone looks against our starters so far, in, in part because of the, the lack of spacing and shooting. But they went to zone in that fourth quarter and they were really unusual zones. There was one that was a 1 1 2 1 zone, which I don't remember ever seeing in a half court setup. It's a great full court press. I used to run it, it's called the Diamond Press. But I've never seen it intentionally as a half court setup. And then they had a one one three zone, which is an un- another unconventional one. I have seen a little bit more. And they they had some matchup zone principles. Anyway, we were flummoxed by that. But D, it's more than that, right? There's some ball handling turnovers, some just uh, getting a little ahead of himself, a little too uh, loose with it. So I just wanted to lay that out as a certain degree of context that those last five minutes of the game, I, it comes down to this for me. Russ is Russ struggles as a creator in stagnant environments. If you can get him on the move, if everything's flowing, if just bodies are on the move, he's really wonderful. I think that you're playing with fire a little bit, having Russ as your primary decision maker in the last part of the game, right? And this is kind of the story of Russ's career in a lot of, you know, circumstances. So there's a part of it where LeBron being the main guy is going to help tremendously in these circumstances. But D, you can't take the ball out of your point guard's hands entirely. And so 
Let's get into this, man. Like, who is Russell Westbrook as a decision maker? Dude's been in the league a long time. I honestly don't think a lot of the stuff that we're seeing is that new for him, to tell you the truth. Um, Part of the thing with Russ is that at every single one of his stops, he's played with another really good perimeter player. You know, last season it was Bradley Beal. Before that, it was James Harden. And then before that, it was Kevin Durant. And then in OKC, a little bit James Harden, too. A lot of it will and can be mitigated by burden sharing. One of his best strengths is that force and that drive and that intensity that he plays with. It is very difficult, I think, for him to channel that effectively at times in late game situations where the the idea that you really want more of is calm. Right. And so there was a I thought he was really good in overtime. I rewatched the last part of the fourth quarter and overtime yesterday because I wanted to see it on a clear screen based off of our previous podcast. (laughs) Everyone should know what that means if you heard the last one. But I thought he was much better and more sort of like in the moment in overtime. When Russ gets worked up, he goes harder. Yes. Kobe used to do this too. That's what they remind me of each other where Kobe was bad. It's like, yo, you're doing too much. Dial it back. Russ is the same way. Yeah. And Kobe, to be fair, there was a certain point of his career where he really, where that was more like, like shoot pass decisions than it was like, I'm playing sloppy. I always think of I always think of game seven in 2010, though, that that is especially the beginning of that game. Like this is the defining moment moment of Kobe Bryant's career. Right. And he's worked obviously completely different circumstances. But that's to say that players, especially guys like Russ and Kobe, when they are failing, they try to do more. And the answer isn't always to do more. Yeah, but there is a there is an urgency that he starts to play with that is tricky to navigate when you're in a game situation that is that is close late or where there is an extra importance put on precision right it's yes great work like we've all been in situations where we feel a little bit more rushed or sped up and you know like one of the one of the qualities that um people talk about in terms of um, really good ball handlers or young players is like, he can't be sped up, right? Like he plays at his own pace. We've, we talked about that with Jokic for, for example, like you cannot speed this guy up. Well, Russ can be sped up. And there are times where he speeds himself up and it's those instances where, where He's doing that to himself, and that's not the part of the game where that is needed. There are definitely times where that's beneficial, that he's speeding up, that he's pushing harder, that he is sort of changing the changing the atmosphere of the game, right? There are points in times where that's super beneficial to, to his team. There, But then there were stretches in the fourth quarter where that possession where he sort of jumped and tried to throw a pass and then sort of landed and then the ball, it it was just a turnover. And it was just like, what was that really? And it was just that idea of like, 
you could see it in his face. It was sort of like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then when he's making a mistake, he's like, he's tapping his head and he's shaking his head a lot. Like you see him off, like on camera, but not zeroed in on him. And you could tell that he's then thinking about it more and like, I got to get it together. And that sort of, that feeling of, it, it almost brings anxiousness to the viewer I, like, I don't know if, if, if oh, it, it does to the team. Oh, hundred percent. Right. Like that sped up, like, ah, you can, you can sense and it. So Mike, uh, it's super interesting. Cause Pete and I, we're watching these games from home. Like you're in the arena. And so I'm wondering, like, is there a, cha- like, what are you seeing from your perspective? Like, is there, do you see a change amongst the players? Do you feel the vibe start, start to shift? And and I'm just wondering, like, from your vantage point, what all of this looks like and just your perspective on this idea in general about Russ and, and what's leading to maybe some of the decision making issues that we've seen in games. Yeah. So I'll if I I'll try to pull in a collection of what coaches have said over the years about turnovers and what some of it's kind of the smarter players like LeBron or Kobe have said about it. And all turnovers are obviously not created equal. And so. If you look at the top 10 of guys in so far total turnovers, Russ is number one, not a surprise, with 56. But number two is Harden, then Paul George, Kevin Porter Jr., Luca, Trey Young, John Morant, Jalen Suggs, Cat, and Deer and Fox. And there are a couple similarities there, right? So you you don't see the master point guards up in that mix, like the Chris Pauls, you know, who are gonna keep the who really have the handle in the whole game. But all of those guys, with the exception maybe of Porter. And Suggs kind of, I need to see more, but are creating shots for other people and or have to have the ball more because there isn't the same level of playmaking on their teams, you know, or like there's some commonality, I guess is the point. And so the next thing that I look at is, is just a turnover ratio. So Russ has always still been decent there because for all the chances that he takes, he does still drop off a ton of passes for dunks and throw some lobs that actually go down and hit the corner shooter in the right place. So he does have a lot of productive uh, assists in that sense. And then to separate it out even a little bit further, like the fourth quarter turnovers that we saw in the last game, those are just complete killers. Like the bounce the ball off the leg, out of bounds, that's a killer. Or the live fast break one where you're just getting ball pressured and you kind of lose it. And like those types of turnovers are different from the try to try to take my guy off the dribble to create an opportunity for somebody else. And so I don't think that Russ is... Overall, like I don't think that he's still like a, a big minus in terms of the turnovers to the assist thing. I, th- I, I think the issues are more like with his own shot selection um, in parts and his own like inability to slow down in other in other aspects. And sure, that does sometimes lead to turnovers. But I worry less about the actual turnover numbers than I do sometimes about just that decision making. And, and maybe, Pete, those things kind of go hand in hand. But uh, it's just a, tr- a way I try to parse it. No, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I think there's that list that you uh, read off and Russ is part of this. From the point guard position, I I can kind of separate guys out between game managers, your Chris Paul types, the guys with those five to one assist to turnover ratios and your weapons, right? And your John Morant, a lot of the guys on that, Kevin Porter Jr. is a, a young one. These are guys that are making these high risk, high reward type of plays by design, right? You want them, like, 
I saw someone say like, oh, Russ needs to scale it back and tone it down. That's not him. You're not going to be able to get that. That's not, you're not going to get the best version of Russell you, Westbrook. Just to throw this in there. So the, if you sort by assist to turnover, then you get the more of the players that you're talking about. So Tyus Jones, right? Who's not yeah. taking many risks. He's number one assist to turnover ratio, by the way, like by a lot, <laughs> by the way, um, like it's, he's got 34 assists to two turnovers. Which is which wow. is just stupid. Um, then you have number two is Iguodala, like then Chris Paul, Corey Joseph, right? Actually, Davion Mitchell, Tyrese Halliburton both make this list. Um, Kyle Anderson, you know, Patrick Beverly. So that it fits what you were saying, right? With those are these are players who are are not trying to take guys off the dribble so much, right? And and make something happen. Yeah, not a lot going to the rim on that group right there. Uh, so. But Russ is not that. Russ is the opposite end of that. And with the the Kobe comparison in terms of like getting sped up or getting trying to do too much, Kobe was exquisitely skilled. And we talk a lot about Russ's jumper, but even his handle, he doesn't have Kyrie type of handle, Steph type of handle, right? He's a, a guy that's forward and moving and... I have have either of you guys seen the show Avatar, The Last Airbender, the Nickelodeon cartoon? Both of you guys no. with kids. It, I would highly recommend it to anybody who has kids. The premise of the show. It, you said Nickelodeon. It was an old Nickelodeon show I watched, during I, I watched Double Dare. I know Darius watched Double Dare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's after our time. I I've watched this show as an adult. It's a beautiful show that with a lot of great life lessons uh, with kids. I would recommend it to anybody with kids. And one of the premises of the show, you've got four different nations, right? You've got the the Earth nation. Uh, I'm I'm gonna mess this up. It, basically, it's it's based on the four elements: the earth, water, air, and fire. And the Without giving away too much of the show, the Fire Nation is presented as the bad guys. They're the guys that are taking over, right? And the the premise is the Avatar is the one who can save the world and and restore order to to the world. And so by doing that, he has to learn how to earthbend, airbend, firebend, and waterbend. And he's naturally an airbender. He is the last airbender, hence the title of the show. If you've seen the show, you're you may be nodding your head along to this, but Russ is Fire Nation through and through. Russ is Russ is a firebender. And one of the things about fire is that it's destructive. And there's a scene in the first season where Aang, who's the protagonist, is learning how to use fire. And he's kind of screwing around by a river and he's with Katara, who's part of his crew, and he ends up burning her. He hurts her because he doesn't know how to harness and rein in the fire. And so much of the show is about fire. They're they're the bad guys. They're destructive and all that. And later, you start to grow an appreciation and they start to reveal like, well, fire is also life and joy and spirit and warmth and all of these good things. There's just like all of the other elements, it has its positive and negative attributes. And so Russ is this firebender through and through that that is one of the reasons, D, why I'm I'm so adamant about the idea of building around him is he cannot be an earthbender. He cannot be an airbender. He cannot be a waterbender. He is who he is. And the team, he does, he does too, of course, but the team like has to kind of find ways to work around who he is in that respect, or else we'll be burning each other with turnovers and, and situations like that. I'm all for accommodating the player. I think one of a coach's biggest and most important jobs is putting a player in positions to, to succeed. Right. And the first I'd say it, the first priority for a coach is like is 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 getting people on board, right? Is generate. I, I always say this that the first and most 
the biggest priority for a coach is generating and maintaining buy-in, right? Because then you could do anything you want and players are going to follow you. But next is actually putting them in positions to succeed. And so I think Vogel's been hit and miss with that. With Russ, I think his misses have been big, big misses. And I think his hits probably aren't getting as much play. Like AD's playing a lot of center this year. Mm -hmm. Russ is playing a lot of minutes with only a single big, but that's not how each half starts, right? And so there's, I think, been a lot of attention and rightfully so put put in in to those stretches some of the mistakes that russ made against the hornets aren't scheme they're not being put in position nothing to do right? with that it, it, yeah. so i think there's a level of player accountability that we need to have just like there's a level of coach and scheme accountability and teammate accountability like what are we doing to help each other right there are plenty of times where russ is making a play for a teammate and that teammate isn't ready like i've seen mellow for example like start to cut back door and then cut that off and then russ is throwing the russ is throwing the pass and then the pass is out of bounds that's a turnover on russ but really that's a classic nah man like you need to continue that cut Right. And there are plenty of times where Russ is taking chances and he's taking chances based off of the idea that he's helping his teammate. And sometimes his teammate rewards him. Sometimes his teammate doesn't. Sometimes Russ lets his teammate down. Right. And, and so there's a lot of context to every single basketball play. But the plays where we need player accountability, I think that's what this podcast is about. Right. Because there are times where you just need to play better where you just need to make the right decision. And Russ has been, over the course of his career, hit and miss with that. And that idea of putting him in the best position to, to succeed is also going to be, well, when can LeBron James get back? Like, some of this is roster construction stuff, where it's just like, yeah, well, let's actually give the ball to LeBron. Right. Like if A.D. wasn't a big guy and he's your third and he's your other star and he was a power wing who had some ball handling capabilities, then we might say, all right, well, let's divide up these possessions a different way now. And in some ways we've tried to do that, right? Like the end of game possession where we try, you know, at the end of the fourth quarter where it's like we're going to throw the ball to A.D. But that can be difficult to do when you're doing that with a, a big, which is your point. Yeah, it's it's these are the same problems that like Mike, you brought this up with Philly last year right where it's just like yeah man when your best player is a seven foot one dude in today's nba like those dudes still need someone to get them the ball we we saw this with with um kobe and Shaq's lakers where it's like kobe was still the closer down at the end of the game and that's what makes lebron james so special right is he could be both he can be the guy who is handling the ball out on the perimeter and he could be the guy who hammers you 10 feet and in, right? With like a post-up play. And there are very few of those guys in the league at all at any given time. And over the history of the league, it's about the same, right? So in getting back to Russ, uh, I do think that there is some stuff that the Lakers could be doing better for him, right? Vogel's talked about some of that stuff, getting him better looks with screens and and everything else. But some of this just comes down to, all right, man, well, you got to you got to find your focus, you got to find the right temperament in in certain parts of the game in order to deliver on what's needed. And like I said, I thought overtime 
there was a point in overtime, man. Three minutes left. Lakers are down four. I thought they were losing the game. Russ comes down and he's surveying the court. Monk hits that back cut against the zone and Russ threw him a bullet right on the money. It was a beautiful pass. And there was a sense of I'm in control. And Russ gives you that sometimes. But in the fourth quarter, there wasn't enough of that, I thought. And I was it was good to see him recapture that in the moments where the Lakers really need needed it. And I would argue some of that one one of the key reasons the Lakers won was because Russ was poised in that fourth or in that OT hit some free throws right and everything was was there so just more of that but this is the push and pull with Russell Westbrook I think what I'm really thinking about big picture with Russ is what have we seen so far and this is mostly when LeBron's in the game what have we seen so far that is going to be palatable like that that really will work against good teams. And are there enough of those types of of moments so far to let us to suggest that something like that can be sustainable? And I think that there's got to be a lot more, but he did have some good secondary moments in the Houston games, uh, in the Cleveland game where his turnovers were pretty low. His shots were pretty low. You know, for the most part, he wasn't really forcing much, the thing that is hard is that when teams are playing off him so far, he's just sometimes it's hard not to just take that open jump shot. And I'm not even that mad right about those things, because that's like a basketball one on one rule. Even if you're somebody like Westbrook, it's just hard to not take to, to Tony Allen, what Golden State did to Tony Allen in the playoffs last uh, several years ago. So what what about Russ is different from what we expected and it's that thing that Darius always points out is that, OK, well, I guess you got to show us. And one of the few times that I've been shown is when Dwight Howard came back to the Lakers when everything was sort of desperate and he really did change his game. What we've seen so far is that Russ hasn't really changed his game and he and he can't, like Pete said earlier. But are the, in the context of LeBron, can he can it be enough for them to still win? And that's the open question, but I think we already have the answer on if he's going to come in here and just sort of be a different player and adjust what his game is and and change the way he, he does things. I don't think that that's going to happen. Yeah, Russ isn't going to change, but I do think there are some circumstances that will soon. So let's take a quick break and come back and discuss them. Lakers basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out and transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com LFR today and use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So while I don't expect Russ to have a different approach, and if, you know, you you mentioned Passion Play, you watch that on the plane, Mike. If you watch that and if you are just familiar with him, it's kind of a point of pride that he is who he is. And he's, you know, and and we should harness that and keep that. What I think is going to change about the circumstances, aside from LeBron, is having other ball handlers back too. I think that the solution to these these issues with Russ when they do come up, especially in these static environments, that's a really important distinction to me because when we're flying around and when we're in transition, but also in the half court, if we have, if, if we have, you know, good spacing and just good flow to what we're doing, he's actually one of the very best in the game, you know, type of shot creators in those situations. But when none and THT come back in particular D there's a lot of ball handling on this roster and in the rotation, especially if Austin ends up sticking once guys come back. And you properly pointed out that he's played alongside a lot of other perimeter players, elite guys. But most of those other teams, aside from that one other player, everybody else was kind of a 3 and D type uh, that did not have a lot of ball handling. One of my big beliefs about the potential of this roster is that we have that, but we haven't seen it yet, right? Because none and THT are probably the, gosh, are they the third and fourth best ball handlers on the team, I believe, and especially amongst the guards. And I think that changes the dynamic a little bit, and you will have fewer of those possessions from Russ kind of as a natural function of that. Yes. Yes, I think that that's true. I think... So I don't want to come off as negative with this. I do think giving some of these possessions to other players will be helpful. I think it'll be especially true with LeBron. But with THT and Nunn, I think that that's also true. I think where 
where things start to how all of this coalesces is where I'm much more interested and curious about how it all works, right? Because during the preseason, areas where I was not necessarily as impressed with THT and none was their passing ability and their work as connectors, right? Like one of the things I've been really happy about with like Austin Reeves is that he's a connective player. Like he is someone who can not only make a play for himself off for the dribble and is proven to be a capable ball handler, but he is someone who is making the skip pass. He is driving, he is driving and kicking. He is, he is a guy who is able to play in the middle of lineups and be a shot creator for himself, a shot creator for others, and just a ball mover where it's neither, right? Like, okay, I'm passing to this guy who passes to that guy, and now that's where the open shot is. And that's a super helpful player. And I think that that's a super helpful player for Russell Westbrook to play next to as well, because if all you do is put individual shot creators on the floor together and no connectors, it's going to be a bunch of your turn, my turn possessions or let's run this singular action in order to get this one guy a shot and over the course of a long regular season but particularly in the playoffs Mike the that stuff is easier to shut off if you're a defense and 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 so I think if we're still talking about limiting Russ strictly from the standpoint of, okay, well, you're going to be a better decision maker because you're making less, less decisions. Like, I do think that that's the answer, but I think that the, the quality of the person who we're asking to then make the decisions is also super important. So that's not to shoot down your idea, Pete, because I do think that burden sharing is super important, but I, I still want to see it a little bit more to see how these guys actually work together and improve each other rather than just, oh, I'll do it this time, guys, and then you can do it next time because that's got limited growth potential, in my opinion. Well, I guess what what I I do think, though, it's got to be just a lot more LeBron and especially in the fourth quarter and late in less Russ in certain situations. And definitely aside from what Pete's talking about with the pushing game where uh, where that's that's all great and fine. But we did see we did see that more when they needed to come back against Houston and a couple of the other games where Russ was just not on the ball. LeBron got it at the top of the key. Yep, that that we know that works. That's what I want to see. There's no there's no arguing about that. There's nobody in the world that can go up and be like, you know what, actually give me the rock lebron you go stand in the corner and if i can point out something positive about those moments is russ was on the floor for that too that's one of the big questions yeah. of this season right is like can russ be on the floor in the last 5 minutes of the game and not draw so much defensive attention away from him that it really impacts lebron yeah. and ad he, he comes at the high end teams yeah. of course and they right. did some yeah. of that yeah comes at the screen it's not like he doesn't have to be ignored at all it's just that lebron is the one that is dictating so then where do we go from here D, what is the, what are the next steps of of progress? Because I do think there is going to be a certain your turn, my turn nature to this team. Uh, but that that those connecting pieces and and getting it all to gel and 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 work together, we haven't had the opportunity for that yet. But once we, yeah, I think some of this is just time and and seeing what's possible. I like I hate to frame it this way, but the Lakers they are behind. 
right? Like just are, just from a yeah. time standpoint, they are behind. The race already started and the Lakers are running the race. But we, we use this analogy last year is about the idea of like the on ramp and the merge. Right. And and the car is already on the road and there are guys who are going to have to join it who have been on the sidelines and, and get and joining the ride is going to be a tricky thing. And there's going to be bumps in, in that process where I'm encouraged is that there are some things the Lakers have done incorporating LeBron and Russ with LeBron as a ball handler mostly. Right. And so they ran, I think it was against the Grizzlies they ran that ball screen action where Russ was screening for LeBron multiple times, right? And then LeBron was hitting Russ in the short roll. AD was weak side corner, and then AD dove. Russ got the ball in the short roll. He went up to attack. They closed in on him. He drops off to AD dunk, right? There's going to be more refining of stuff like that over the course course of the year there was another action that they ran and i think it was against houston but i can't quite remember um i wrote about it too which makes me feel dumb that i can't remember but they put russ in the dunker spot and they ran a pick and roll with ad and lebron and then they they set a, a screen for russ and he curled around it for the layup the lefty layup yeah russ rode up the lane line after so mm-hmm. the way the play broke down was super interesting because they tried to ice the screen, right? And LeBron saw that they were trying to ice the screen, so he tried to beat his man middle, right? His defender stayed with him, so AD came and rescreened, and when he rescreened, they got the switch, right? So AD dove, and it was against the Rockets because LeBron was then isolated against Christian Wood up high. When LeBron was isolated up high, Nawaba, who was guarding Russ, crept into the lane, and was sort of being a deterrent to any post entry to AD and to show help on any Le- on any potential LeBron drive against Wood. And so Russ noticed that Nawaba had left him and he sprinted up the lane line, caught the ball, and then AD sort of pushed up the lane some. That screened off Nawaba. Russ drove left and, and he got a layup. And so Actions like that where Russ is incorporated into the play, but not necessarily the main initiator, those are going to be super important. Mm-hmm. You know what we haven't seen very much of at all, though, is LeBron screening for Russ. Yeah, right? the side ball and, screens. I was wondering about this the other day. So yeah. there is so much left yeah. out there. We, for we may the be Lakers behind in the race. We may be behind in the race, but it's very early in the race. It is. And so this is why I'm... There is like some short term discouragement that I feel, right? Like, oh man, like they're one game over 500. They have some bad losses. They're this, they're that. They're dealing with injuries and all of that's super frustrating. And then I think about all of the stuff that we discussed during the offseason, Mike, about the potential for things. And how much of our current view of the team is based off of the current predicament that the team is in and what the asks have been of the group and the roles that they've been forced to fill and how much do those differ from what we 
hoped it to be and the idealized version of that. And now, obviously, I don't think we're, we're ever going to get to the idealized version of anything that we're looking for, right, within the term of basketball or or anything else, really. But inching closer towards that, I think, is going to get you a better idea of what this team can actually be. And I said this a couple of pods ago, but we've gotten used to this version of the team. This isn't the team. This isn't the team. So I don't know what to say about like, oh, like, how are you going to, how are we going to fix Russ? It's just like, well, how about we get him into the spots that we actually want him to be in with the lineups that we expected him to play with, with the guys on the court and doing the things that they were asked, that we thought they were going to be asked to do in the first place. Can we get to see that a little bit first and then start to answer some of the, these questions? And it's frustrating that this is where we still are. And it's a month and a half into the season. Sorry for another rant there, but it's just like, it is frustrating to me that this is where we're at a little bit. Yeah, that's where I spend a lot of time when all right time to time to do your time to analyze what's going on with the team and there's the two sides of it on the one shoulder you've got the well how can you possibly talk about anything without acknowledging that the best player is out and that filters into every spot every single thing that you're looking at on the basketball court and then there's the other side where it's like so what too bad that you guys that are out there have to just figure something out better and of course as usual right it's probably it's a yes and no it's it's somewhere in the middle but that is the context, right? Not just LeBron, but then THT and none in the playmaking. And the whole point with Russ was the Darius slotting terminology for that's up there in the LFR hierarchy of words that we say the most. And Russ is not slotted right now where he should be. And therefore, we're seeing more of the stuff that plagued some of the teams in the past. So both of those things are true. And we, have, we think about it every time we watch these games. It's that's why it's so it's so difficult, but important. And I I think we try to get to the nuance of it here where let's examine what happened in that game. Here's the larger context for it. And yet here's also why it's causing, you know, Pete to text uh, Darius things that I listen. I actually happen to listen back on that pod because I listened to a ton of pods and then it came up. And I'm like, oh, I've been listening to one in a while. And it had me laughing out loud like Pete's giggle when you (laughs) relayed uh, that he dropped the F-bomb. Like so that stuff is not if Pete sat on that for 10 seconds he would understand the context of it but in the moment right oh, yeah it, yeah that's it, why so, the rewatches are so important mike is like the first time i'm in my lizard brain and most of us are right and it's it's half like yeah my like yeah i'm that, i'm a crazy person to watch a game with. and no, then it, you like you're pissed off the other half but that's why that's why i'm and, and it's just probably not helpful for me to even share this perspective but watching it as a reporter like do, doing the game live is a totally different headspace to be in but yet mm-hmm. but you you guys are kind of riling me up on the text thread all right you know and then twitter is kind of right and then my and then my brain is all right well how but it doesn't do any good if the especially if billy mac or Stu or i right so and then at the same time that would be pretty entertaining so it's it's all of the above it's all of this stuff and this is why it's fun Slash I always enjoy I always enjoy when you're riled up in the text thread and then you have a hit on TV like 30 seconds later and you're super <laughs> professional and calm and no one would ever know it's what and I'm just cracking up on my couch like uh, anyway uh, yeah. uh, this will be an ongoing story throughout the season one of the biggest storylines of the year is Russ as a decision maker we'll be here to cover all that we got a game tonight against Miami uh, and you know about Six guys not on the not on the injury report. Hopefully a couple of them play and are okay. We'll be back tomorrow to cover the game. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Hey.
Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it. Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com